0: Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. But I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified, saved by the law. You are fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. You did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you, little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. Now, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, and our conviction is that the Word of God has never changed and never will. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life at Calvary, there my died. He took my place, and by his grace came with me to abide. All I need for life. Calvary, life that ends. Jesus stood and cried out, saying If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink He who believes in me, as the scripture said From his innermost being will flow rivers of living water But this he spoke of the Spirit Whom those who believed in him were to receive John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39 Dr. Mitchell continues our study in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Here is Dr. Mitchell. Thank you. Good day, friends. We again come to you. And isn't it wonderful that you and I in these days can spend a few moments uh, thinking through the Scriptures, having our minds occupied with a person of our Savior who is always sufficient for the needs of His people. Will you please remember that, that he's always sufficient for every need of his people. This is why he loves us. This is why he cares for us. As he could say in John 13, 1, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. When I think of this book of Galatians, which we're studying together, and of how the Apostle Paul was so wrought up in his own heart, Because these dear people who had come to Christ, had seen the sufficiency of Christ, were filled with joy and blessing and peace and hope. And now they've lost the whole thing because they're trying to keep saved, trying to be godly by their own works. And again, may I remind you that the flesh can never please God. God has no confidence in anybody's flesh, neither yours nor mine. It's what Paul had to speak of to the the Philippian church. God has no confidence in anybody's flesh. It can't please God. Hence, the Lord must make the complete provision for men and women not only to be redeemed but to be sanctified. Now, If I were teaching the book of Hebrews, sanctification in Hebrews is always on the ground of what Christ accomplished at the cross, like you have it, for example, in Hebrews 10.10, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body, Of Jesus Christ once for all Now, when we come to chapters 5 and 6 of the book of Galatians we find that sanctification is by the Spirit and the great question that is asked is how can I live a godly life now that I'm a Christian and I'm here in frailty I'm surrounded by sin and corruption my circumstances are not very nice how in the world can I live a godly life how can I live a life pleasing to God My friend, God has made provision for this. It's not by keeping the law or trying to keep the law or even trying to keep the golden rule. The Spirit of God comes to indwell the Christian for this purpose, that the very character of God might be revealed in you and in me. Now, in the first 11 verses of chapter 5, which we started in our last lesson, we are exhorted to... To stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. And I would like to read those 11 verses this morning, or today, where Paul says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing, But I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified, saved by the law. You are fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. You did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I have taken the time to read these 11 verses because in them we have seven things concerning the law as a rule of life. The result, can I put it this way? the result of being under the law as a rule of life. Uh, The gospel gives me liberty, not license, but liberty. We find that in the first 11 verses. We've been freed from sin, from the world, from our religion, from self, from the law and its curse, from sin and death, and we're told to stand fast, not to deny what Christ has done for us. Now he goes on from verse 1 down through verse 11. And he gives to us seven things, the results of being under the law as a rule of life. First of all, in the first verse, we found out it brings us under bondage. We're enslaved again. In verse 2, it ruins the grace of God. Christ shall profit you nothing if you're going to be circumcised. That is, circumcised to complete the work of Christ which he has accomplished for you. Remember again that when you come to the book of Acts chapter 15 and in the second chapter of the book of Galatians, these Judaizers had come among these Christians and had told them that unless they were circumcised and kept the law of Moses, um, they wouldn't be completely saved. And I find that today. I find people saying unless you go through certain uh, ordinances and uh, ceremonies, unless you keep the law of Moses, uh, you'll not be saved. You'll not be, uh, you're not a Christian. My friend, having come to Christ as my Savior and knowing that he has done a, a complete work at the cross for me to turn from Christ, even to a right or an ordinance or the keeping of the law or to do any work attaching it to the work of Christ ruins the grace of God. Now, this is what the, Uh, The third verse, the second verse says, I say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. You just absolutely ruin the grace of God. And then in verse three, we have the third thing concerning the law. I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. If you put yourself under the law, my friend, and I'm repeating what we said in chapters two and three, If you put yourself under the law even as a rule of life or put yourself under some ceremony, you have no need of the cross. You have no need of the cross. And you are a debtor to do the whole law. I think this is what Christians fail to realize. We fail to realize that the moment I put myself, even as a Christian, all right, I've put my trust in Christ, But I put myself under the law of Moses as a rule of life. Then, my friend, I defeat the very thing that Christ has done for me. And not only so, but I am a debtor to do the whole law. James says, He that breaketh the law in one point is guilty of all. And Galatians 3 says, Cursed is everyone who continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But remember, at the end of chapter three, we had this wonderful fact that the the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, and after that we might be justified by faith. And having come to Christ, we are no longer under the schoolmaster. All the cross has to say is said before the cross. Having accepted a risen Christ as my savior, I'm no longer. Under the pedagogue, I'm no longer under the schoolmaster. I'm no longer under the law, not even as a rule of life. In fact, I'm going to again make the statement, the law was never given to give life to the unsaved and it was never given as a rule of life to the saved. The law cannot help you, my friend, one little bit, not even to be good as far as God is concerned. It's either Christ or the law. Now, if I turn back to the law, I ruin the grace of God, and I make myself a debtor to do the whole law. Now, look at verse 4. Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law. You are fallen from grace. Now, sir, do you believe in falling from grace? Yes, yes. That's what verse 4 says. Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law. You are fallen from grace. Christ is valueless to the one who tries to be saved by the law. If a person could be saved by the law or kept saved by the law, there would have been no need for Christ to have come and died. And by the way, he is not talking about a Christian who's falling into sin or lust or manifesting the weakness of the flesh. But the man who falls from grace is the one who turns away from the sufficiency of Christ. It's the self-righteous man who falls from grace. It's the legalist who falls from grace. I know you talk about some Christian who's possibly in a backslidden condition and you say that man has fallen from grace. Oh, no. That man needs the grace of God. That man needs the grace of God and nothing will restore him but the grace of God. I'm not holding any brief for a Christian who sins. Don't misunderstand me. But only grace can bring him back. Only grace can meet his need. He's not fallen from grace. What he needs is to know something about the sufficiency of the work of Christ. But the man who falls from grace is the man who turns his back on the sufficiency of Christ and tries to keep the law as a rule of life and tries to make himself good. He becomes self-righteous, legal righteousness, self-righteousness. That's the man who falls from grace. He doesn't need the Savior. He can keep the law. He's going to be good by keeping the law. As I've said before, and I repeat it, the legalist can't keep the law. And because he's honest about it and knows that he breaks the law, that he loses all his joy, all his blessing, And his usefulness. And the law will not forgive him. The law has no mercy on him. The law says you must die. Hence, you must turn to Christ. Oh, my friend, listen. Either Jesus Christ is a complete, all-sufficient Savior, or he is not a Savior at all. Nobody has ever been saved by keeping the law. Nobody has been kept saved by keeping the law. The provision God has made is all in his Son. And when I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, I'm delivered from the guilt and penalty of sin and by the indwelling Spirit. We have victory over indwelling sin. Or sin as a master, that's Romans chapter 6. Sin has no more authority, is no longer the master, not because we're under the law, but because we're under grace. In fact, the law is the strength of sin never promises to deliver you from sin, never promises to forgive you your sin, never promises to give you power against sin. The law makes demands, and cursed is everyone who doesn't keep them. Hence, we must run to Christ. He died to put away our sins, and he lives for us today, and he sends the Spirit of God to indwell us, that the Spirit of God may live through us that life which is pleasing to him. As we quoted in our last lesson in Romans chapter 8, the second verse, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and the law of death. What I'm pleading for, my friend, is that you take the word of God and please do not turn to anything or anyone except the person of Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can save. He's the only one who can keep and it's His blessed Spirit who indwells the believer to manifest His character in and through the believer. We are dealing with the first 11 verses of the fifth chapter. In these first 11 verses, and we have seven things. I've already taken up three or four of them with you. I repeat them. In, first, in the first verse, to put yourself under the law as a rule of life brings you into bondage. In the second verse, It ruins the grace of God. Christ profits you nothing. In verse 3, the third thing, you are a debtor to do the whole law. The whole law, not part of it. Not nine-tenths of it, but the whole law. And by the way, when you speak in verse 3 about the whole law, he's not only dealing with the ceremonial law, he's also dealing with the moral law. I'm talking about the law of Moses includes not only the moral law, but also the, the Levitical law, the ceremonial law, the ordinances that go with it. And then in verse 4, we are fallen from grace. Yes, I believe that a person can fall from grace. It's not the man who manifests frailty in the flesh or fails God in his life that falls from grace. That's the man who needs the grace of God. And certainly using a club on him is not going to make him behave himself, nor will it cleanse him from his frailty and from his sin. The grace of God is the only thing that God has given to us for salvation and to keep our salvation. And if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. The law offers us nothing. I know I want to get this into your heart because I know I'm talking to great many people who have been, shall I say, untaught or are ignorant of the fact That Christ is an all sufficient, perfect Savior. And to go back to the law of Moses, the whole law. And my friend, listen, you can't go to part of it and leave the rest. There are those who say that when Christ died, he completed, he fulfilled the ceremonial law and the ordinances of the old law. But the moral law goes on. The Ten Commandments belong to the Mosaic economy. I am well aware of the fact that when you come to your epistles, some of them are repeated in exhortation, not to keep saved, not to make you good. But we do these things, or we do not do them, depending on where it is, because we love the Savior and because of the indwelling Spirit. But it's the self-righteous man who's trusting his own works. This is the man who falls from grace. This is the man who doesn't need Christ. This man doesn't need anything but himself, and Christ hence profits him nothing. Again, I suggest it is the legalist who falls from grace, and Christ is of no effect unto them. And then you have the fifth thing in verses 5 to 6. The result of being under the law destroys our hope in verses 5 to 6. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ... Neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. you Mark verses, uh, verses 5 and 6. You're never sure of the future. Never sure. If the Lord Jesus should come today for his own people, would you go up to meet the Lord in the air according to Thessalonians chapter 4? You remember in Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, especially verse 17 when it says, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Our Lord says, And now that ye think not he's going to come, now will you go up when the Lord comes? Or do you have to stop and uh, find out where you are? Are you good enough, you're going to say? You say, I'll go up if I've done the right things. No, 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 no. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 16, I read, it's the good hope through grace. You see, the man under grace, the person who believes in the all-sufficiency of Christ's work for us, not only his work on the cross, but his work at the throne of grace for us now. We're sure, we're confident by the Spirit. We wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. What we're waiting for is the coming of the Lord. Well, don't you have any doubts at all? No doubts at all. No fear. No question mark. I'm just as sure as Christ was raised from the dead that the moment the Lord Jesus comes for his own, I'm going to be with God's people. Not on the ground of what I am or what I have done or expect to do but entirely and completely on the ground that the Lord Jesus Christ is a sufficient Savior for time and for eternity. Remember, he is not going back to the cross. He died once for us, and now we should live for him. And then in verses 7 to 10, the sixth thing, the result of being under the law hinders our progress Apostle Paul says you did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. You are really running well. What hindered you from obeying the truth? What's robbed you of your vision of Christ? What's turned you from Christ to yourselves? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. May I say in the Bible, I think I should say this here, that leaven is corruption. People talk about the leaven of the gospel. There's no leaven in the gospel. The gospel is pure. The gospel is from God. There's no leaven in the gospel. Leaven speaks of corruption in Scripture. If You go back to your Old Testament before they had the Passover. Every house must be cleared if it's leaven. You take in the New Testament. Christ warns us against the leaven of the Pharisees. Paul warns us against the leaven of the Corinthians. And one could go on and and follow through in this question of leaven. Leaven is corruption. And they had these Judaizers from Jerusalem had come in and it robbed these Christians of their joy. You did run well. You had real hope. Now you're full of uncertainty. Now you have no joy. Now you have no expectancy of the coming of the Lord. You're occupied with yourselves. You're occupied trying to keep the law. You're full of self. And if you do do any good, it's self-righteousness. You've missed the joy of a life lived in Christ. And you've missed the joy of the Spirit of God living out our Lord's life in and through you. You see, having come under this legalistic code as Christians, they'd lost all their joy and had even lost their hope. And as he said here, it hinders our progress Instead of us growing in the grace of God, growing in service, growing in worship and praise to God, we're hindered. We become occupied with ourselves. And will you tell me, my friend, did you ever see a legalist occupied with Christ? No. They're always occupied with themselves or occupied with somebody else. And generally, when they're occupied with somebody else, it's in a critical attitude. This is the attitude of a legalist. Thank God we have a, an all-sufficient Savior who is sufficient for me today and he will be sufficient for me tomorrow, irrespective of circumstances, even of our frailty, irrespective of the whole thing. I want to tell you, my friends, Christ is all you need. All you need is found in Christ. I wish in some way you could see him in his beauty, in his righteousness, in the sufficiency of his work at the cross guaranteed by resurrection and the sufficiency of our Lord's work today in heaven. What do you think the Lord's doing in heaven for you now? He's praying for you. He's praying for you. He's keeping you. And he wants to live out his life through you. And all he wants you to do, me to do, is to yield ourselves unreservedly to him so that his purpose will be wrought out in us. Now may the Lord bless you today and may your joy and your hope just flood your heart and your mind, for His name's sake. We trust that your hearts have been blessed and encouraged through the study of God's Word. The Unchanging Word is an independent Bible study, and our conviction is that the Word of God has never changed and never will. And so until next time, this is The Unchanging Word Bible Study.